My look is that of Steez Bui. TFW, you're a hyperbeast snack. Poggers, and welcome to another exciting episode of the New Albion Radio Hour. I have a request today for all my lit fam out there. Send in some flesh suits. I have taken to roaming the streets of your terrible, stinking city, and my flesh suit is starting to smell of decay and rot. Granted, it keeps people away, but it's starting to attract attention. My, but you people have a bit of a war going on. Don't worry. I'm going to put a stop to all that. I will make it all end. All of it. But first, look at what I picked up. I like getting out, walking the streets. I picked up a box of puzzles. No, not paper puzzles. Those little puzzle things made out of wood and metal. They're good for passing the time and keeping the old brain fit. I like to sit down here at night and work on them in between my reading. It's nice. That's why this week our sponsor is Izzy Bird's Toy Box. Sure, they have toys, nice handcrafted things too, but they also have stuff for the grown-ups, namely a good selection of puzzles and games. You know, a good thing to do is to make a live puzzle, a maze full of puzzles you must solve as you encounter them. I did that once, although... I wouldn't call the things inside the maze puzzles so much as deadly traps, but they were puzzles in their way. Uh, you know the story. Back in that theater with that cult, I turned that theater into a maze, and at choice moments in the maze, there were little traps, but not all of them were deadly. No, where's the sport in that? Some were just designed to hobble you or, or cause excruciating pain, but you'd be able to limp along to the next one. But not all of them were traps. Some of them were actual little puzzles you had to solve to keep going. Granted, if you solved them, you'd, you'd get your arm chopped off or something like that, but still, you got to progress further into the maze. I was very fair about it. If you managed to make it to the end of the maze, you were free to go. I had thought about standing there at the end with an axe to kill whoever made it out, but then I thought, well, that's not very sporting. No, I stood with the axe inside the maze, at the bit with the dry ice. If you made it to the end, you were free to leave. I was a little sad no one did. I thought it might be nice to have at least someone survive, to appreciate all the ingenuity and care that went into that maze. Truly one of my towering youthful achievements. And no one left to appreciate it. I mean, sure those cult members got to appreciate it at the time, but their appreciation, it was brief. And they mostly screamed and cried their way through it. No applause, no pat on the back. I mean, kids, it just goes to show, 
you can't do what you do for approval from others. You have to take pride in your own work. They were my audience, and they offered very little encouragement or appreciation. They just cursed and swore and... Well, there was pleading. A good bit of it. I guess that's a bit of positive feedback. Having your audience beg for you to please stop in the name of God, I mean, that does feel rather good, I must say. But still, after a while, I was hoping at least one of them would, would make it. Maybe write something one day about their experience. I hate to brag, but, you know, I wouldn't have minded them sharing their amazement at my work with others. Alas, sometimes we must create for the reward of creation itself. Anyway, kids, you're all lazy and prone to wastefully sit around wasting your sad lives away. Why don't you make some mazes for each other? Games, live games, haunted death traps, or you can let each other live. Just amuse each other with your sadistic games of ingenuity. Yes, and Izzy Bird's toy box can help you do it. Well, I'm in a good reminiscent mood today. I like puzzles. And flesh suits. Don't forget to send in those flesh suits. And now, without further ado, the beginning of our final season. Our last storyline, The Gnome War, Part 1. The early days of the August Sky Playhouse were magical, and all agreed some of the best times of their lives. The only path the gang had any idea to pursue was the use of theater to embody archetypes and create micro-realities, which they could then use to manipulate meta-reality. They would write and perform shows. They built a theater out of the old tower they were inhabiting. They explored this tower, which was clearly a remnant of the Lost One's ancient culture. They refurbished it slowly, learning how to manifest illusion. This all took time, of course, to get truly up to speed, but even in the early days, they started performing plays and musicals. Over time, various beings started coming to attend these performances, but much of this came later, after the arrival of the fifth member. As they rehearsed the first few shows, the boy from the Abbey would appear, sitting off to the side watching them. How is he even here? asked Michael. Well, he was with us in those tunnels, said Asha. Didn't you see him? I caught glimpses, said Jill. Jill and Asha went over and asked if the boy needed anything. The boy shook his head. How are we going to eat? asked Lloyd. I mean, even if we're in an alternate or meta-reality or wherever we are, aren't we still material beings with bodily needs? Like eating? And what do we do? Poop out the door into the metaverse? The boy walked over to the small table they used as one of their thus far only props and spread his arms out as if presenting it. They all looked at each other. I'm not sure he understands. Does he even eat? Isn't he dead? asked Asha. If he's dead, how come we can't see through him? asked Lloyd. Well, the idea that all ghosts are transparent is a bigoted bias, said Jill. Although a lot are, she added. 
Can we pretend there's food? asked Asha. Oh, that'd be nice and convenient, said Michael. Now that we're talking about it, I'm starving. Like, famished kind of starving. Maybe we can, said Lloyd. He closed his eyes and reached out and pretended to pick up a drumstick and bite down on it. He opened his eyes in defeat. Well, I guess not. Maybe we can capture some of these gnomes and eat them. They weren't as bad as you'd think. The gang stared at him in disgust. Jill spoke. Stopping those gnomes is clearly our first priority once we figure out how to use our gifts, but I agree we have to survive. I haven't thought so much about food until now, and now I'm feeling a little hysterical. We can't seem to do much on our own, but together we can move through dimensions and do this, these powerful things, said Asha. Putting on little pretend plays seems foolish, but it works for us. It allows us to perform magic. It's a ritual like William and his group did, but simpler and more potent for us. Why don't we do that? Put on a play where there's dinner? asked Michael. Yes. Well, group magic is more potent and immersive ritual is one of the most powerful proven magical methods, said Jill. We should do it. The boy pretended to set the table for them. Asha quickly set about writing a ten-page backstory and outlining characters. Michael gently suggested that she keep it to a page or two. Then they set about improvising a scene where a group of strangers arrive at a fancy hotel for dinner. At first it seemed silly, but as they improvised, they started to get into it, and there was a moment where they forgot who they were and for a second believed it. During this moment, they looked down and saw a table full of very real and very delicious-smelling food. Hot damn, shouted Michael. The scene disappeared along with the food. The gang all cried out in exasperation. Whoops, said Michael. Don't freaking break character, shouted Jill. Oh my goodness, I'm so hungry. They played the scene again. The food eventually appeared again, and they ate. They would learn how to strike a balance between keeping the scene and being more themselves than other characters, but this would take time. One of the most important innovations they discovered happened by accident. They were attempting to manifest items, items that would stay even after the scene disappeared. The tower was ill-equipped to live in, and they needed things. Have you never heard of superstores? asked Lloyd. I grew up in a swamp, answered Michael. My family ran a caravan, said Asha. We knew markets well. You mean a big market? Well, yes, sort of, said Lloyd. We need to create a scene where there's stuff, said Jill, and then maybe we can just sort of take a thing or two and not return it when we're done with the scene? So what, we need to act out a scene and then a character picks up an item that will factor into the story? It makes sense. This was difficult, but it did work at times. On one try, they were midway through the scene and having no luck manifesting a bar of soap they had written in as being important to the plot and more importantly, important to them in being able to be in the same room together. They all smelled massively. No, 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 said Lloyd. The soap isn't there. It's here. Look, over here is. And he walked around describing the imaginary room. 
The longer he did it, the more things started ever so slightly appearing. The gang stared in wonder. Lloyd looked at them self-consciously, then looked around. Oh my! he exclaimed, and then everything disappeared. How did you do that? asked Jill. A narrator! screamed Asha. We can use a narrator! A narrator can set a scene in no time. We don't have to spend an hour working everything in using convoluted plots. A narrator! Lloyd, you're a genius! Lloyd smiled bashfully. He tried to reply, but just stammered. Lloyd should be our narrator, said Jill. I mean, no offense, Lloyd, I love you, but your acting skills are a little challenged. Yes, I know. No need to beat around the bush. I prize honesty above all, said Lloyd. They did this. It worked. Well, it worked better, but Lloyd often had trouble. It often never worked at all, and no one could figure out what he was doing wrong. They needed numerous items. Life was becoming a bit rough. They were trying to act a scene one day that was to take place inside a bathhouse with numerous tubs full of hot running water when something smacked loudly against the outside of the tower. The scene broke, although truthfully, it hadn't really been working. What was that? asked Michael. I don't know, but you should go look, said Asha. Why me? asked Michael. Because I'm going to be right here guarding our one table, said Asha. Uh-huh, right. Michael went over to the door, but Lloyd was already looking out. Oh, it's a... it's a man. He's flown into our tower. Oh, I think he smacked himself rather smartly. Hmm, he's... he's hot, too. <laughs> Never hurts. They helped a somewhat disoriented man into the tower. Thank you, the man said. I'm sorry to... uh, sorry to bother you. I was, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I'm not, I think I might be, am I dead? I think I'm dead. And this might be the, you know, is this the afterlife? Maybe. Okay. I think I'm hallucinating and maybe I'm in a hospital. I've been, I've seen some weird, there was a, you know, tarot cards. Have you, have you heard of a Tarian? I'm, the man stammered uncomfortably and fidgeted. Michael walked up to him and took him gently by the shoulders. Hi, my name is Michael. This is our little crew. We're real. You're real. Everything's okay. We'll explain everything as best we can. At least everything that we actually understand, which isn't much, but is obviously a lot more than you. But first, welcome. You're safe. And then Michael hugged him. The man was very surprised and rigid, but after a few seconds, he relaxed into the hug. They broke and Michael stepped back. One by one, they introduced themselves. Hi, I'm Jill. I'm Asha. Hello, my name's Lloyd. Jill and Asha had hugged the man. Lloyd half went to, but couldn't decide whether to commit and the man responded awkwardly, and in the end they just shook hands. Lloyd quickly turned away embarrassed. The man started fidgeting nervously again. Okay, uh, well, uh, yes, uh, my name is... Uh, hi, I'm David Adams. It's a, 
it, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. They set about trying to explain everything to David. David was very kind, but very self-conscious. Whenever asked questions about himself, he would become very nervous and stammer uncomfortably. I have an idea, Michael said that evening. He grabbed one of their greatest accomplishments, a bottle of scotch they had manifested, and went off with David to the room above to bond just the two of them. It worked well. David confessed to him his mental health issues, which caused him a great deal of grief. He didn't trust himself and had very serious problems with self-confidence. They tried to incorporate him into their plays. The trouble was, David was so self-conscious, he couldn't relax enough to not only act, but even just act natural. Jill did exercises with him to center him and to uncover mental and emotional blocks. After one particularly intense session, she stopped. Oh, David, she said. There's a, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a tsunami in you. Emotional power that's incredible, like I've never seen. But you've, you've repressed it so forcefully and so deeply. No wonder you broke. Your breakdown is caused in large part by this, this very repression. You have to, you've got to learn to ease up on it a bit. David nodded. What if he tries out the narrator role, asked Michael. I mean, he can't do worse than Lloyd. Lloyd shot him a pretend look of outrage. No, no, it's not a bad idea. Come here, David. I'll, I'll walk you through it. Lloyd set about training David. Try moving your, your arm like this. He moved David's arms, standing very close. David started sweating profusely and became almost comically awkward. Asha and Jill were watching. They looked at each other. Oh my God, said Asha. I know, right, whispered Jill. Maybe we can use this to help him. And help Lloyd, said Asha. That boy needs some badly. You think this is what's repressing David? Don't be silly, said Jill. His repression is much more complicated. But it does include sexuality. And maybe we can use the sexuality as a signifier to unlock the rest. But how do we get them together, asked Asha. They're literally the two most romantically awkward men in the metaverse. Huh, said Jill. Well, we don't need to get them together. I mean, that's a bit well, not our business, but we do need to use the sexual tension to maybe unlock David a bit. Let that torrent down there out. We need a play where they play characters who have a hot, steamy scene. Ugh, said Asha. They're also the two worst actors. Yeah, it's a tough challenge, said Jill. You know, said Asha, Michael is good at the whole smooth sexual thing. Yeah, said Jill, but he's not gay. We tried this one time a while ago when we were getting Lloyd, Michael hitting on a guy. Oh, it was a disaster. He's obviously not into it, and it shows. Besides, Michael and David are bonding really well, and I don't think that would help. Let them work out their own interaction naturally. Okay, said Asha, but then why not let David and Lloyd work out their attraction naturally? Those two? 
They could take lifetimes, Jill nodded towards David and Lloyd. David's awkwardness had now infected Lloyd, who himself was stuttering, trying to guide David but so self-conscious about being close to the man that he kept turning away or suddenly bumbling a prop. Lloyd Allen awkwardly bumbling, said Asha. This is gold right here. I could literally watch this all day, said Jill. And they did. It was now two weeks later. The gang was growing more desperate. Okay, places everyone, said Lloyd. Now, David, your job is to set the scene. Just start from here. No, no, over here. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Sorry, my arm was. Uh, I, I didn't mean to brush you. Sorry. I. Uh, but anyway, if you, if you could just get. Michael walked over. David, just do what we talked about, buddy. The trick is, you don't have to be yourself. Let your whole, you know, David Adams thing go. You're worried about this, worried about that. Those are worries that David Adams has. Be someone else, just for a little bit. Someone that doesn't have those worries. Someone who has no worries, who doesn't care about offending anyone. Be that character we made, the crow. David nodded. Right, although I was... I, I'm, not a, I'm not sure about the name Crow. I, 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 it's kind of, I think it's kind of stupid. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't feel comfortable, and I, I don't want to disappoint you all. Shh, don't worry. You don't want to be the Crow? Don't be the Crow. You can be the Raven, suggested Lloyd. I love Ravens. He turned away to suddenly do something else. Ah, okay, I can be, yeah, sure, uh, the raven sounds great, but I, I, I love ravens too. Oh, uh. Lloyd smiled, though, as he fussed with an already set prop. So, David, just, just forget yourself. Be the raven. Lose yourself in the scene. Your job is to create a world for us, a world we're all going to believe in. A world you're going to believe in. If you can't believe in yourself, believe in this world. Believe in this raven person. Your job is to make magic. Just just believe in magic for a moment. Uh, yeah, I can do that. I, yeah, I, I like that. That, that, I, that, that's nice. Places, said Lloyd. He walked over to David again. David, he said softly, I believe in you. I believe in you enough for, well, enough to make up for a lot. I believe in you a lot. Lloyd put his head against David's shoulder, gently, for just a second. Jill and Asha expected David to go bright red, but he didn't. He put his head on Lloyd's. For just a second. Then they went to their places. David beamed and puffed out his chest. We, well, welcome, uh, one and all, to the Outlaw Theater in the August Sky Playhouse. Yes, and, and what a show we have for you today. We, it's, it, uh, um, yes, 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, come with us to a scene of mystery and wonder. A performance sure to delight and titillate. A little play we call Mystery at the Bathhouse. Jill almost wept as around them appeared a room full of steam, full of beautiful ornate bathtubs with piping hot water and flowery fragrances. Fuck yes, she whispered under her breath before speaking her first line. Well, our music certainly isn't going to get any better. So just keep suffering like I do. Immigrada, immigrantiada, immigrada, immigrantiada, immigrada, immigrantiada. We coming rougher every time.
book of our true stories True stories that cannot be denied It's more than true, it actually happened 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 We're coming rougher every time Every time!